I'd like to read one verse tonight, a well-known verse. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 and 9, but if you, if you go to the, the latter part of your Bible or the right side, as we would say, um, you get Galatians and then you get Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. These are words written by uh, the Apostle Paul. If you've heard of Paul, he does a lot of writing in the New Testament. He writes these words, um, and they are uh, a succinct statement of something very, very wonderful. Uh, And we're going to read them here. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We'll read that one more time. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So my purpose tonight is to speak on this verse, well-known verse, and to divide it up uh, just by some of the very profound words that are in this verse. We, We have the verse... Uh, it's claiming here saved. We have a, a, a word grace in there, and we have the word faith. And so I'd like to just go through those tonight uh, and speak on each one and how they are brought together uh, in this text here so succinctly. Uh, maybe before I do that, I just I just want to say this in opening. Um, sometimes when you listen to this message, it's, it's good just to have a preface. Uh, and I would say this, that when you, you listen to the gospel message, just remember In our society, probably the two most prevalent lies that are told in our society, the two, I would say, greatest lies, according to this book, the Bible, and according to the God, the two biggest lies that are told in our society are just this, that I am good. You say, compared to who? Because the Bible only ever compares us to one person, Jesus Christ. One lie, that I am good. You said the Bible directly contradicts that and says, none good, none good. The other lie that I say would hear just as much as this, God will find a way to excuse sins or he'll find a way to, to brush them under the rug. He'll just, there won't be punishment for things that we've done wrong. Uh, it's like a family. We think of the God long ago, thousands of years ago. He was severe. I often compare it to like my own parents. I was the firstborn. And I must have gotten a spanking every day of the week, you know? And like, it wasn't, if that wasn't enough, it was twice a day. And then if I said anything back, you know, I was going for a triumvirate. But you say, I was the firstborn. But my, my youngest brother, he could go weeks without even being home. No one knew where he was. You'd say, my parents, they, just, they got tired. They got tired. They, punishment, what? Punishment on the first thought, yeah, that was, I was going to be the bear the brunt of that. They were going to teach me a lesson, but they just got exhausted after four boys. They just gave up. Some people think God's like that. But yeah, thousands of years ago, he was severe, and, and, and things had to be in place, and he had rules and regulations, but he's just gotten tired over the years. That's not so. God's just the same. 
yesterday, today, and forever. So those two lies, if you take those tonight, if you were to recognize them as lies, you'd say this message will come across in clarity because of that. So I'd like to look at these, these words, and I'd like to look at them and contrast them with words that we could say go along with that. I would like to look at just these three words, grace, saved, and faith. But I just want to add one word to each to contrast it. Because sometimes a contrast can, sometimes a contrast can, can show you so much when you're looking at this. Instead of grace, I want to look at grace. I just want to look at, I'm sorry, it's okay. Good to see you, Norm. I want to look at grace that works. And then I want to look at faith that is enough. And I'd also like to look at saved, but we often say almost. So I want to look at grace that works. I want to look at almost saved. And finally, I want to look at enough faith. A well-known writer, his name was C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've read some of his stuff. Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he was once at a great convention over in Cambridge, England. Uh, it was a meeting of religious uh, pomp, as it were, and, and all the religious individuals that come together at this conference. And, and the question um, that was being offered, or the question was being discussed is, what makes Christianity unique? And one man ventured to say, well, it's the fact that God visited earth. And they said, no, 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 no. They said, there's a ton of religions that say that. Ton of religions that tell us about a, a God coming down to earth. Everyone's got that. So then another man said, well, what makes Christianity unique is that God has spoken. God has spoken. And we have his word. And now, now they said, we've heard that one too. That, that circulated. There's a lot of people who say God spoke to them and they got that. So uh, that's, that's you. They said, no, what about miracles? The fact that... Uh, there was a man who multiplied bread, turned water into wine. You'd say, it's the miracles that, that make Christianity unique. Now, now they said, plenty of miracles everywhere. Plenty of miracles everywhere you look. It was Mr. Mr. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, who come by and they, 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 just, they got him out in the hallway. They said, what makes Christianity unique? He goes, that's easy. Grace. Because anywhere else you go tonight, someone's going to tell you what you have to do to get to heaven. It's only Christianity that says you don't deserve it. You have to believe someone who has done the doing for you. It's only Christianity that says that. Well, when, when I come to look at this and I grace that works, we're so consumed with looking at what I can do and, and what I could what I could offer to the God of heaven. That's everywhere. I asked the man last night, I said, I said, uh, I don't bring my wallet to church events because they told me when I was younger, don't do that. And I would encourage you to do the same. But I said, I'll give you $10 if you can tell me of a single religion on earth that doesn't in one way or another tell you, do this and get that. Do this and get that. Be better. Achieve this. If you're able to fulfill this standard, you'll get that. Tell me of a religion on earth that doesn't say that. It, it doesn't exist. And you come to the Bible and it says, no, don't do. Look at someone who already did it. And it points, it points, it points everyone who reads this book to one person, Jesus Christ. And you'd say, you'd say, that's that's against maybe what what, what I would like, against what I think. And you'd say, everyone wants to earn. 
Uh, everyone wants to earn, and you'd say, we want to be earners. I, I like, if I don't go to work one day, I feel like I'm all out of whack. I don't, that could be for other reasons. But, you know, you'd say, five days in the week, because I get my paycheck. Actually, direct deposit now usually goes in Friday morning. I don't have to show up Friday anymore because it's already there. But five days a week, I show up, and, and, I, and I, I put my all in because I want to be worth it. I want to earn the paycheck. We've had guys who have worked for us. They only showed up on Friday. And it, it, it made me so angry because they got the same paycheck. And they only showed up. And you'd say, they didn't earn it. And that if you've ever worked in a workplace and you said, that guy is getting paid the same as me. And you'd say, there's no equivalency here. It, it, it consumes you. And so you look at Christianity. You say, there's not a chance, Dave. You say, we must earn this. We must we must achieve salvation. You have to do something. Otherwise, you'd say, otherwise, it makes us no different. Exactly. Exactly. God wants everyone to be the same playing field. He wants everyone to be guilty. You'd say, no, isn't there, isn't there a standard? Isn't there achievement? The Lord Jesus Christ once did do that. He once had a man come to him and said, what must I do? And Jesus Christ said to him, he said, Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love him perfectly. And the man, you could see the glimmer in his eye thinking, I think this sounds good. And then he pointed this way and he said, love your neighbor just like you love yourself. You say, oh, you don't know my neighbor. And you say, how often? Seven days a week. 24 hours a day. 365 days a week, year. You say, you say, that's a ridiculous standard. That's the standard, that's the standard that Jesus Christ met. And you'd say, I want to earn salvation. I want to earn, I want to please God. And you come to this book and it says, if you want to earn it, just look at the standard that is set, but don't lower it. Don't ask for a standard and say, no, no, I want it lower. Drop the bar. Because God has dropped the bar and said this, there is no bar. There is nothing. There's no height to overcome. There's no mountain to climb up. There's no ladder to find yourself at the top of. There are no grades. The Bible comes through clear and says this. We sang the song. It was written by a man over 200 years ago. He was a slave trader. In fact, if you read some of the, the, the biographies about him, they said he swore so much he invented swear words. And not only that, but he was so despicable. At one time, they, they, they told him he had to actually... He was trading slaves. They made him a slave in Sierra Leone. And, and they, they banished him to this, this segregated area. And you said he was the scum of the earth. And he's the man who writes the most famous hymn known to Christianity. And he says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You'd say it comes through so clearly. We sing that song sometimes at funerals. And sometimes we sing it. I, it, it, it seems that you have to have a bagpipe to sing it, but we, we sing it at some of the most morose uh, events in life, and it gives us comfort. And you'd say, why? And you say, you know, I just don't know, because when you look at someone who has died, and some of us are, are closer to death than others, we would say. And some of us don't know if we'll be here tomorrow. Some of us has, have been spared and given extra time in this life. And yet when you stare at someone who's gone from this world, and you'd say, what are their chances of being there? You often think about what they did, where they were a parishioner. 
How often did they volunteer at a food bank? How much money they donated to charity? Were they a decent neighbor? Were they your neighbor? What do you know about them? Is there any dirt to drag up? And you start to evaluate them as though heaven's a resume, and you forget all the time. The Bible says, for by grace, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't achieve it. But you can believe this. It says grace, a grace that works because your works the Bible tells us, are nothing but dirty laundry. The Bible says that. And you say, my works, Dave, are better than his works. Well, that's fine. If you want to compare yourself to me, I'm a great guy to compare yourself to because everyone's better than me. You find that out in life. If you want someone to elevate yourself, just come visit me. Stay with me for a Saturday. You'll leave thinking, wow, I'm a great person. I'm, I'm, I'm unbelievably smart. I'm, I'm witty. I, I'm such a better family man. You spend a 24-hour period with me, and my friend, you will go away holy, because you'll find out how great you are. But my, my friend, if you ever found yourself staring God in his face, tell me, how do we compare to the divine? How do we compare to his son, Jesus Christ, who in him was no sin? He did no sin. He thought no sin. He was holy, harmless, undefiled. How do we compare to him? Oh, you say, no, we look terrible. Exactly. Thank God he came to save terrible people. Thank God for that. Even if you, even if you despise this message, even if this has no appeal to you, thank God that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Thank God for that. Because the rest of the world tonight is telling you to be righteous. The Bible tells us tonight, be as bad as you want, because that's who Christ came to save. You say, grace that works and almost save. This word save comes across here. And I just want to add that word almost. You say it's almost an oxymoron. There was a man here last night and he said to me, he's going to, we're in the same line of work. He goes, I'm going to Barbados to do work. And I had never thought about that. I thought going to Sussex County was like a vacation for me. He's going to Barbados to do what I do. I said, that's unbelievable. He's six weeks, he says. Six weeks, I'm going down there. I said, How, why do you ever want to come home? Why do you want to come back to northern New Jersey after being in Barbados? What, what, what draws you back? He goes, it's funny you should ask that. I've never been to Barbados. I've never been to any island. So this is just him saying it. He goes, when you eat the food down there and, and the bed that you stay in, and just the people that are there, he goes, it's good. He goes, but you keep thinking to yourself, it's almost, it's almost like home. It's almost. The food, yeah, oh, it's great, but it's, it's almost. Or, or, or the, you say the, 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 the arrangements where you say, you'd say, it's almost like what I had. He said, he goes, almost is what brings me home. It's, it's the almost. If it was the 10 out of 10, yeah, I would, I, would, I, would, I would stay. He goes, but it's the almost that brings me back. And yet I come to, I come to the Bible and you'd say almost saved is an oxymoron. It, it, it doesn't exist. We get used to it sometimes. We get used to these things. But I would say to you, you know, it's hard in life to differentiate true and false. You'd say that's difficult. But you know what's more difficult is true and almost true. You say we have a tough time with that. We have a real tough time with true and almost true, but you say almost true and false are the same. You know, it's a, it's a difficult thing when you come time and you'd say none of us would send our kids to an almost safe school. None of us would work for a company that almost paid you the right amount. No, we wouldn't do that. Almost has no regard, but, but we get used to it because we almost pay the IRS what they're due, right? And when we go out running and we want to run four miles, 3.8 seems to suffice because almost is good enough. And we get used to it. 
It, it becomes part of our being, this idea of almost being saved. And you would say, saved from what? Because if it was being saved from poverty tonight, we would say, amen. I'll, I'll turn you to a couple, a couple of financial counselors in the meeting, saved from poverty, saved from family genetics. That seems to be, uh, you know, a lifelong ambition, right? You know, you can't stand the fact that you realize that small circle on the back of your father's scalp is going to be yours one day, right? You know, save from genetics, save from, save from even the government, it seems today. You have to be somehow, somehow saved from the tyranny that is above you. And you'd say all these things seem, seem remarkable and would seem like something that is worth being saved from. But yet the Bible says all of that is, is, of, is of no consequence. If, 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 if you pass away tomorrow, who cares who's in office? If you die tomorrow, if tomorrow's your last day on earth, really, does it, does it really matter the, genetic, the genetics that were passed down to you? Does it really matter these things? Will it matter if you almost made your mortgage payment or if you almost, you know, were able to tell someone, almost able to get married? You were almost, almost there. You almost bought the car. You almost went on the vacation. None of it will matter. And my friend, if you die tomorrow, the worst thing that could be said about you is that you were almost saved. Almost. Because it, it doesn't pan out. The Bible says this, is that all, we, we say in our life, almost is better than nothing. Almost. Not so. Not so. Because Jesus Christ did not almost die. Jesus Christ did not almost forgive sins. Jesus Christ is not almost God. The God of heaven became a man and died on Calvary in order to completely forgive you, completely save you, and completely satisfy any heart here today who would take him as savior. Completely. It's not an almost. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And my friend, I almost got paid. I almost got paid. But the second part of the verse says the gift of God is eternal life. I would ask you, and, and, and sometimes I say to people, people love poking holes in anything that comes from the Bible. And yet if you were to turn in your own heart and to realize all the holes that have been poked through my character and my being and my life, you'd say I'd look like Swiss cheese. And yet to poke a hole in this, that the God of heaven didn't demand me to do something. He came here himself and he died on a cross in order to forgive me of every single one of my sins. And you'd say it's verifiable because people were there that day at Calvary. People saw him. People saw the man on the center tree and he was there for you. It's not an almost. This is guaranteed, not an almost. And you'd say how significant that to be saved the rest of the religious world will tell you, do your best, and you will almost know. Christianity says there was something that took place on a Friday in the year 8033, from 9 o'clock until 3 o'clock. And the man who died there that day did not almost complete something. He finished something. And you could be saved. Not almost. Completely. So we looked at that. We said a grace that says you don't have any works, but a grace that works. We look at a, at a saved here and we say it's not almost saved. It's a salvation that is complete because it doesn't depend on you. It depended everything on Jesus Christ. And finally, we look at a faith here and we say, is it enough? A faith that is enough. I did a, I did a job for a lady once um, and uh, she said to me, I said, uh, what do you think about the Bible? What do you think about Jesus Christ? She was a 
we were talking about things. She lived by a church. I just asked her who was who was there. She she went to it. She said, Dave. She said uh, it was kind of like I don't know. if She was watching too much History Channel or or MythBusters. She said she goes. There's a shroud. There's this covering, the shroud of Turin. She goes and uh, she goes. If they if I could just if they could find that if I could see that she goes, I would have enough faith. I would have I would be guaranteed if I could just. And she was as sincere as the day is long. I said to her, I said, you know, in the Bible, uh, God made promises to people. And he says, uh, the promises are based on the stars. Some of us swear on um, the graves of our ancestors. You know, there's going to come a day where graves will be empty and the stars will fall from the sky. So then where will your faith be then? The Shroud of Turin is no better than the napkin on my kitchen table. Faith could be in anything. You could have faith in atheism tonight. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You could have faith in your church building tonight. That's great. I'm sure one day they'll have to rebuild it. You could have faith in a religious figure tonight, maybe a priest or a pastor or a preacher or, God forbid, me. And you know what? We're all doomed to destruct. We're going to die. I'm going to pass away one day if the Lord doesn't come back. It's not faith. It's who your faith is in. No one goes out to a restaurant and comes back commenting on what the fork and the knife look like. But without the fork and the knife, you'd never enjoy the meal. The Bible says there's a man, Jesus Christ, who can be trusted. Who can not only be trusted with this life, but the one that is to come. And the Bible says the reason that, and the way in which you appreciate that is by faith. And you'd say, is faith enough? Is faith enough to be saved? Is it, is it, will it, will it be enough? Because as I, as I, as I come to the Bible and as I look at our verse, for by grace are you saved through faith and that it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I realize this, that as a gift, it's a person, Jesus Christ. And of all the times in my life where I've wondered, is it enough? Is it enough? I, I could go the rest of my life. If, if, if salvation is a result of, of crawling on my knees, if salvation is a result of paying money, if, if salvation is a result of you name it, when is enough enough? And then I turn to the Bible and I say, enough faith? No, the Bible only measures faith, it seems, once or twice. And, and the measurement is this, a mustard seed. It says this, you could have faith in anything tonight, but not anything will save you. Someone will. And it says, faith in Jesus Christ. Faith. And you say, I don't deserve it, Dave. Neither did I. A million years from now, I won't deserve it. I don't deserve to be forgiven. But that's grace. You'd say, you'd say is 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 is. Is that it? You say, could you be saved undeserving? Absolutely. Absolutely. You'd say you could be saved, and you'd say, it's actually only the undeserving who gets saved. You'd say, someone has asked me, they said, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Can you tell me, Dave? People will, sometimes people get belligerent. They say, tell me, am I going up or am I going down? I say, it's not my job. It's not my job to tell people that. You know, I said, you could tell me what you have, and I could tell you what the Bible says, but I know this one thing. I said, if there's a billion people in heaven, or say there's 10 billion people in heaven, or say there's 100 billion people in heaven, I say, we're all going to have maybe different hair color, different heights. We're all going to have different backgrounds. But one thing's going to unite all of us. None of us deserve to be there. Not one of us. 
You say, what will unite everyone in heaven? Uh, The fact that there was a man who died on a cross and guaranteed my passage there. The fact that there was a man who died at Calvary and guarantees me that he is the way, that he's the truth, that he is the life. And, and, and if I, I, we sang when we've been there 10,000 years, you may have only been on this earth 80 years. Maybe you've been on this earth for 15, 40, 55. But my friend, regardless of, of what you've thought in the past, 10,000, a million years, eternity is a long time to be wrong. Eternity is a long, long time to be wrong. It's a long time to think, you know what? It was a free gift. I didn't have to earn it or deserve it. It was because of grace. The fact that I could have been saved. Because all I had to do was believe what God said. We, 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 we all are exercising faith on a day-to-day basis. You put your key in your ignition. You believe the engine will start. It just becomes commonplace. You sit on your lounge. You sit on a chair. You have faith in it. You, you wake up in the morning. You have faith. You're going to say hello to your spouse in the morning. You have, you have this innate belief because it's repetitive. It happens over and over and over again. And yet if you had to go back to the first time, you'd say to, it was everything, right? To place that trust, to say at the end of the day, to, to, to know that when I did this, this would happen. And yet you'd say, no one can know for sure. Yes, yes, you can know for sure. Because the Bible tells me over and over and over and over and over and over again. People who place their trust in Jesus Christ are guaranteed forgiveness of sins, are guaranteed heaven. And though the repetition takes place every day, when people place their trust in him, it never gets old. It never becomes like the key in the ignition. Because it has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with the person that died at Calvary, Jesus Christ. You could be saved tonight because for by grace are you saved through faith. It is not. Of yourselves, lest any one of us should boast. It is the gift of God. God offers something tonight that if we had to actually reason it out in our minds, no one, no one should ever deny. No one should ever reject this. And yet sometimes people go away from here and they're determined to work harder, to earn something they can't earn. They're determined to do better, to deserve something they can't deserve. When all the while, grace says, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for us. So something you can't deserve tonight, but by the grace of God, you could have it tonight and you could have your sins forgiven. Would you turn, please, to the Gospel of John? Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, and the last verse in the chapter, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son, and of course that is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God abideth on him. John chapter 3 is one of the cardinal chapters of our Bible. I would strongly urge you to take five minutes or so at some point, just sit down and read these 36 verses. They are some of the most important words ever written. And this verse forms something of a, of a well, I, I like to think about it almost like a punctuation mark at the end of a statement. It just gathers together and once more stresses for us what the chapter has been about. It's reminding us again that there are people who have everlasting life because they have believed on the Son. There are those who do not. It's telling us that there are two classes of people in the world, not 10, not 50, two classes of people. Has nothing to do with religion. Has everything to do with Christ. The person who makes the difference is the Son of God. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that does not believe the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. And then just like John 3.16, this verse projects our thinking on out into eternity and reminds us of some who will forever enjoy life in the presence of God and others who by their own choice will know nothing but the judgment for their sins. So it's an extremely important verse. And um, there's just four things I want to note with you. You probably don't have the trouble I had searching for salvation. But the trouble I had was that I imagined that believing was going to save me. And I, I'm so glad the way uh, my brother David preached tonight, because it's not believing that saves. It's believing in Christ that saves, believing in the Lord Jesus that saves. So while I was working on the how to believe and thought this really all depended on me, the important thing, and my first point is this, it is whom, not how. Whom to believe, not how to believe. And then it is him, the son, not you. And then it is have, not hope to have. And then it is heaven and not hell. Just those four points. Whom, not how. Him, not you. Have, not hope to have. And heaven instead of hell. My grandfather came from Italy at the beginning of the 20th century. When he came to the United States through Ellis Island, he was a firm believer that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was crucified during the reign of Pontius Pilate, that he was placed in Joseph's new tomb, that he rose again the third day, that he ascended to heaven from whence he would return. He believed all of that. What he did not believe, what he did not know, what he had never heard in his life, was what he found out when he came to New Jersey and to Pennsylvania because he was given a Bible. And he found out from the Bible that it was possible to actually have everlasting life now. Have it now. Not take a chance to see what happens when you die. Not hope one day everything will turn out well, but to have salvation now. How is that possible? Because it's God who is speaking. Because it's God's word. It is whom we believe, not, not how to believe, as though it all depended on you. It is God and his word that can be trusted. Allow me just to marshal for you some simple statements from the Bible and tell me if you catch the, the, the thrust of what they're saying. God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. The scriptures cannot be broken. The word of the Lord endures forever. The word of our God shall stand 
forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. My word will not pass away. If we receive the testimony from a man, the testimony from God is greater. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And Paul adds these words, let God be true, but every man a liar. That means if God said one thing and we all said the opposite, we would be wrong and he would be right. Do you catch what that is saying? That God's word is more dependable, for instance, than the testimony of an eyewitness, than the words of an honest woman or man, than the promises of a mere human, that you can trust the word of God today. You can trust God. The reason why I know I will never be in hell just to repeat what we have heard, is not because somehow I deserve to be in heaven, because I do not. There actually came a moment in my life when I found out I deserve to be in hell. But the reason why I know I will be in heaven is because I have believed what God says, and God cannot lie. Now, this is pretty serious stuff. Don't imagine that somehow at a gospel meeting that all we're doing is just spouting words. I want you to understand. I have risked. I have staked my entire eternal well-being on the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. If that can fail, I can fail. If that can fail, I could be in the lake of fire. If that could fail, I could perish. I am banking on what Christ did on the cross and what God tells me in his word. Now, I would posit for you that there's nothing better to trust. Because if the scriptures can't be broken, if God cannot lie, if God is true no matter what anybody else says, then his word is dependable. His word is more enduring than the cosmos, than the rising sun. The Lord Jesus said those things will pass. My word will not pass. Do you think you could trust God? Do you think you could believe what God says? His word is more authoritative than all other decrees. No governing body, be it secular or ecclesiastical, can override God's word. No government, no church synod, no religious leader, no group of people, nothing can abrogate or invalidate or negate God's eternal word. So I would like to ask you, do you believe what God says? Do you believe what God says? When Jim Jones was emboldened, some of you perhaps remember that awful man who led so many people to their death. When he was emboldened by his ego and by the adulation of his followers, there was an occasion when he threw the Bible to the floor and he proclaimed, I'm the authority here. Not that, I'm the authority here. Now there is no authority greater than God. And you can trust God tonight. I don't want to lie, but I can lie. God cannot lie. It is not possible for him. Falsehood has no part of his makeup or character. And so he is giving you his word. So we haven't been sent here to tell you how to believe, to explain the intricacies of believing, because there are no intricacies. We have been sent to tell you whom to believe, to believe God. Now you see, I could believe that that chair will hold me if I sat on it. And if my car were heading uh, over a cliff, I could believe the brakes will stop me and I could push the brakes hard. And of course, the results are different. Sitting there, fine, I have a nice comfortable seat. This saves my life. So, so the results are different, but what I just did was the same. There's no difference. 
I believed in the chair. I believed in the brakes. You see, I believe John 3 and 36 the same way I believe John 3 and 35. John 3 and 35 says that the father loves the son. And he's put everything into his hand. I have never seen God love his son. I've never witnessed him put all authority in the hand of the Lord Jesus. I, I accept that because it's in the Bible. That's the same way I accept the next verse. At the moment that I trusted the Lord Jesus as my Savior, God gave me everlasting life. See, it's whom, not how. It's him, not you. We've been reminded of that from Ephesians chapter 2. And, and so the Bible is reminding us that salvation is all in Christ, that he is the Savior. Have you ever wondered why the Bible never tells you that you can be saved by believing in God? The Bible never tells you you can be saved by believing in the Holy Spirit. Why does the Bible insist that men and women become saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? This is why. Right here. He's the one who came into the world to save sinners. This is why. Right here. He's the only one who died for our sins. And the rest of this verse says that he rose again the third day. And there came a moment in my life when I believed what God said. Do you know that in the book of Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul is in the care of Roman soldiers who are transporting him to Rome to stand before Nero. He is on a ship that is being shattered by a fierce storm. The ship is literally falling apart. But Paul has prayed. And God has communicated to Paul that not one sailor on that one person on that ship is going to die. And so get the picture now. When Paul comes onto this deck with the howling wind and the waves bashing the ship and the seas foaming and rising mountainous on either side of the ship. And Paul says, sirs, you've been fasting. Don't fast anymore. Take something and eat. God has told me that not one person on the ship will die. And then he added these three words. I believe God. I believe God that it shall be just as he told me. Where everything looked exactly the opposite, Paul knew God, who cannot lie, God can be trusted. Do you believe God? The ironic thing, if that's the right use of the word, is that for 15 and a half years of my life, I firmly believed God when he told me I was going to hell. And yet it wasn't until a July night in 1966 that I believed that Jesus died for me. Do you have a moment in your life when you rested on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul? When you didn't trust your church, your prayers, your tears, your baptism, your money, your good life, your good works, but you trusted Christ because he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. The Bible speaks about receiving his word. It's called the scriptures of truth. And when a person receives the word of God, it's receiving the truth that God has spoken. Have you ever received this truth? There was a man in Iowa that used to preach the gospel a number of years ago. He saw many, many people saved. I know this story from a friend of mine, an older man who has since gone to heaven with one of those uniquely... Iowa names Talmadge Southard. So when I knew Talmadge, he was an old man. But when Talmadge was a young man, this gospel preacher I'm telling you about, Oliver Smith, pulled up outside of the farm, walked into the barn, had a chat with Talmadge. Talmadge said to him, I don't know why I'm not saved. I, I, I believe the whole Bible. 
And yet I, I can't say that I'm safe. Mr. Smith said to him, Talmadge, why do you believe the Bible? Talmud said, well, my parents told me it was true. Mr. Smith said to him, Talmud, you have never believed God. You believe your parents, but you've never believed God. That is what led Talmud to turn to the Bible and to realize that it was God who was speaking. There was a young man who was saved um, down in Hatborough, Pennsylvania, when he wrote about his salvation. I, I love the way he ended his words. He said, don't treat God's salvation like a puzzle, like I did for many years. There's nothing that you can do to be saved. Salvation is all through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Hear his words? Don't treat salvation like a puzzle. God is offering you salvation on the simplest of terms. And if he didn't offer it that way, how would we ever be saved? Every one of us has sinned against God that has shut heaven to us. It has eliminated us from ever doing anything to earn heaven. So if salvation depended on us, we could never be saved, but it's him, not you. It is have, not hope. He that believes on the son has everlasting life. Assurance and certainty about the future is the greatest thing to know. Now we're all different ages here. And we've already been reminded, none of us knows how long we have to live. I was just listening today to something that reminded me that the bullet that hit President Ronald Reagan stopped one inch from his heart. And the reason that he did not die was all because of a policy decision made by the White House physician, Dr. Donald Ruge. Dr. Donald Ruge had made a decision. At his age, if this president's life is ever endangered, there will be no attempt to get him to the best hospital or the finest surgeons. He will be taken to the nearest hospital equipped to meet his needs, and he will be helped and handled by the best doctors on site at the time. So I told you the bullet stopped an inch from his heart. What none of us knew until well past the surgery was that when they pushed him into the emergency room, President Ronald Reagan was within 15 minutes of death. So you see, when, when he was shot and the Secret Service agent pushed him into the limo and said, head for the White House. And then they began to notice some blood coming from his mouth. And he said, I think we better get you to the hospital, sir. If the decision had been, let's fly him to Jacob Reed. So then they go to a, a place where Air Force One is, where the chopper is, or Marine One, and they lift off from there, and, they, and about a half hour or 45 minutes later, they're sitting down at Jacob Reed Hospital, and he's dead. But a decision that was made way back here suddenly kicked in with tremendous effect here. On July the 10th, 1966, I trusted Christ as my Savior. It has had the single greatest effect on my life 
that anything could ever have. To whom I married, what I'm doing, the people I know, the people I love, it has affected everything about my life. July the 10th, 1966. Someday, in the future from this moment, if the Lord doesn't come, I will die. What I came to know on that day, which to me means everything, will only be all the more important at that moment. Because as a result of what Christ did and what God says, I have everlasting life. Do you? Do you? We're all going to exist forever. But everlasting life is living in heaven, in the presence of God. Not existing in hell or in what the Bible calls the lake of fire, but living in the presence of God forever. Do you have everlasting life? Because you see, it's the difference between heaven and hell. Now, it is because of God's heart, God's love, that salvation has been provided. He wants to save you from your sins. It's Christ who makes all the difference. Because God is holy, he must punish sin, but he doesn't want to punish you. So he and his son had this wonderful plan where the Lord Jesus would take the punishment that should have come to me and that he would bear that punishment on the cross so that God would not have to punish me because he would punish Christ for me. You say, well, that's not fair. He, he was innocent. No, he was far more than innocent. He was holy. But you say, well, that, that, that's not fair. The sins weren't his. No, it wouldn't be fair except that's what he wanted to do. Do you know why he wanted to do that? There's one verse in the Bible that explains it, among others. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul wrote, The Son of God loved me, and he gave himself for me. That's why he took my sins. That's why he took my punishment. That's why he died for me. That's why he died for my sins, according to the scriptures. Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Beverly Waters is a woman who was on that miracle on the Hudson, that amazing moment when Captain Sullenberg landed the plane in the Hudson River. There's a fascinating museum that I went through in North Carolina when I was down there for a wedding, they have actually brought the plane there inside the museum. And stretching all around the plane, there are uh, incidents about it and stories about it and the comments of people. And I, I was reading what Beverly Waters wrote. She described sitting in her home. And she was watching a documentary about the reconstruction of this plane. Obviously, they couldn't get the whole plane in the museum all in one shot. So what they did is they brought pieces in and then reconstructed it in the museum. She said, I was sitting home and I was watching. And she said, they brought in this big, long thing. She said, I almost jumped out of my chair. I said, that's my wing. That's my wing. That's the wing that she stood on. And instead of dying... She was saved. And she said, that's my wing. So I have to tell you something. When I read John 3 and 36, I feel like calling out, that's my verse. That's my verse. 
Because that July night in 1966 I told you about, when I had no idea how to be saved, when I knew my sins deserved that I should go to hell and I didn't want to go there and I didn't know what to do, these are the words that God used to show me how I could go to heaven instead of hell. And for the first time in my life, I don't know any other way of explaining it, for the first time in my life I realized that it all depended on the Son. See, on the Son, on what He did. Did He die for me? Yes. What does he tell me in his word? That he finished the work. What does he promise me? That if I believe on him, I'll have everlasting life. That's what God said. I, I did what God said. I believed on the son. God did what he said. He gave me everlasting life. And he's offering that to you tonight. It's not a church or a church official or a society or a denomination or a group that can do for you tonight what Christ can do for you. You trust him tonight as your savior, and he that believes on the Son has everlasting life.